What is going on, everybody? Hopefully, you all are doing well out there. Another edition of the Sports Card Show podcast might sound a little bit different. Got a new computer. Don't have my uh, full audio capabilities uh, lined up on this computer quite yet. I'll do that at some point, but it should be manageable. It's quite enough in my new home that I just moved into as well. I moved into like one of the most quiet neighborhoods uh, you can move into. Peering out into my backyard now, and uh, I can see the rooftops of my uh, neighbor. My neighbor has like a, a pool house, a guest house, and like a detached garage. And this is all kind of the back of his property. And all is, trust me, is like pool house is bigger than the house I just bought. So uh, there are some people doing well in the neighborhood, and then there's some people like me that are recording podcasts here at, late at night. So uh, for your pleasure, we've got several topics on today's show. We've got Tops crossover that was a set uh, that was announced last week, so we'll talk about that. Uh, Panini, do they have a flagship product? So that's a question. So we'll attempt to answer that. Uh, check out my cards. They, um, you know, we talked a little bit with my brother, uh, not on this last show. We'll talk about old Michael Smith. Uh, at some point, probably bits and pieces uh, throughout this entire po- podcast, but we'll devote a segment to his dumbass uh, again uh, today. But we'll talk about check out my cards, um, uh, you know, maybe altering their fees. You know, they'll be doing something with their fees probably coming sometime Q1, I would suppose, next year. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. And we'll talk about some NFL rookies I've been watching. I got the NFL, I got a brand new 55-inch TV. I got direct TV for the first time in years, in like a decade, basically. Um, I got uh, Sunday Ticket, so I've been watching all the NFL games. So we'll talk about all these rookies. And I have my college uh, football site, which is, uh, you know, it's not as good this year because they don't offer daily games in the college football. So um, I'm going to utilize my knowledge of college football. If you recall last year, I did not record a podcast, I believe, from August until about the end of the year, mainly because all I was doing was watching college football. So I can tell you a lot about um, some of these rookies. I haven't done a deep dive because I I don't know if some of these guys are going to make the roster yet, but I'll come back like week. We're in week. We're heading into the week three of the preseason. If you're listening to this podcast kind of in the in the archive or whatever. Um, so I'll come back like maybe even like hopefully before week one of the NFL season, but, um, maybe even after week one of the NFL season, I'll come back and kind of do, I mean, at that point it might be kind of stale cause you already see these guys or roles have already kind of developed before your eyes. But, um, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to touch on some of these guys as we move forward through the NFL season. Since many of these players you're probably getting to know uh, for the first time. And for many of these players, you might be wondering if if this is a guy that's capable of doing something against uh, first-level talent or if they're just doing well um, given that it's the preseason. So let's talk about Topps Crossover. This was a set that um, Topps announced this last week. Um, it's, it's in parallel. It's almost meshing three ideas almost together. You have, uh, tops now kind of, uh, you know, parts of tops now implemented into this. You have tops bunt and the app that they have, uh, certainly has a, a direct tie to this, 
but then you also have uh, now I can't even remember the the third uh, crossover here, but essentially you have a, a couple different things going on here. So, Tops crossover, if you haven't found out or haven't heard, is a set that's being offered uh, essentially simultaneously on the Bunt app. So on the Bunt app, uh, I'm not. There's other people out there that are more familiar than you listening. Uh, chances are you might be more familiar than the Bunt with the Bunt app than I am. But the Bunt app, uh, you're able to get these cards uh, on that app some way. I, I know that there's ways to watch videos and get cards on there. I know there's ways to open buy packs physically. I know that they give you a free pack every once in a while. I don't know how you get this crossover set on the Bun app, but somehow, some way, you can get it on there. Second thing you could do is actually buy this set directly from Tops, and so you go to Tops.com or you know somewhere on their website, they'll have this set offered for sale, and it was six cards. So it had uh, like Bumgarner and Harper and Bryant and Ortiz and a handful of other players. So basically, like the base, like some of the most popular players in Major League Baseball, they put together a six-card set, and it looked very much like Inception, like a springtime almost. Uh, uh, offering of inception you know a light background instead of a dark background but the same kind of like little paint scheme going on the back it's, not, it's something that, that you know it wasn't something that i had never seen before and i'm certainly something you had never seen before either but um tops claims it's this cool thing because it's for the first time you're able to buy cards on the app that are offered the same time in the physical the thing that confused me was and maybe this has become more apparent as time goes on but i don't know there, there doesn't real. This seems to be a very loose tie between the two. So I saw people on Twitter. I saw people kind of proclaiming this to be this crossover thing. But really, it's just cards. The same cards really being sold on both. But a, a, a true for me, a true crossover would be if I have the physical cards in hand. It allows me to do something on the app. And same thing, vice versa. If I have the cards on my app, it allows me to do something with the physical cards. Now, let me give you an example. You might say, oh, there's no, give me an example. Well, I'll give you an example. Upper Deck E-Pack, which my brother is a, a, a proponent of. I don't mess around with it that much, but let me just give you an example. E-Pack, you open the pack digitally, very similar to the way you would on Top's Bunt. Now, I can... Hold that card in my account. I can have that card shipped to me. I can trade that card. I can transfer that card to check out my cards and have them ship it to me. I can transfer that card to check out my cards and sell that card. Uh, not only on check out my cards, but onto Amazon and eBay. Compare that to Tops Crossover, and I can buy the cards on Tops now uh, on Tops.com for twenty bucks. I think it was. Or I can go on the app and buy the cards. That's it. I mean, maybe on the app, I think I could probably trade the cards at that point. If I buy the cards in hand, I could probably trade the cards at that point. But they don't seem to really work together after the initial purchase. So not really sure what uh, Tops is really doing here other than um, pulling money out of the pockets. That I think would just go to a blaster box that would go to another card on eBay or go somewhere else on the hobby. 
I, uh, I, I don't see this bringing in a lot of new money. I don't see myself. Really, the litmus test for me is always, am I going to whip out my credit card and buy this? No, no, I'm not going to buy my buy this. If EPAC, if Upper Deck had basketball product, or if Panini would just do an exact replica of EPAC, or if Tops does an exact replica of EPAC, I'm probably spending way more on cards uh, than I normally do. Fact that my brothers got into it because it was hockey, that's his own choice. Me, I mean, I know about these hockey guys, but not enough to to get me to, to spend extra money. But the concept itself, certainly, if I uh, if it was basketball or football or or pretty much any other sport, I'd probably be into it. So that's the test for me. I don't think crossover passes that test. I think uh, for me, what would elevate uh, the the in if these cards a little bit would be the packaging. I kind of want to see the packaging with this. If this is something that Tops is going to offer again and again and again, I'd like to see some kind of packaging that kind of ties it all together. You know, in stackable boxes or something like that. If it comes in some plain cello wrapped or all the cards are individually wrapped or in a, in a sleeve or in a team bag, that adds no value to me. Also, the fact that I didn't like that this set it, it, it's really geared toward just the card collector. Like I said, this is geared toward the guy that was going to spend this 20 on a Bastard Box at Walmart or he was going to buy into a group break or if he was going to buy a jersey card or an autograph card or he was going to go to the card shop this week and spend this $20 another way. What I would have liked to have seen is a team set, uh, uh, the ability to buy tops crossover, all the Cubs cards. All the Giants, all the Red Sox, all the Chicago White Sox. Instead, it was six players. Now, I'm interested in getting the Madison Bumgarner, but I don't give a crap about Chris Bryant. I don't give a crap about David Ortiz. I don't give a crap about anybody on the Dodgers. I don't give a crap about Bryce Harper till he comes and sides with San Francisco. So, I, I didn't get it. I didn't see, uh, you know, I, I didn't see as much thought put into this as I've seen with Tops now. I thought this crossover was just a lame, just a very lame attempt by Tops. Uh, we'll see where it ends up. But, uh, I mean, the cards might end up being collectible. People might like them. Might, I'm not really saying anything about the value or the collectability of these cards. I'm just talking about the attempt of the, the actual set I wasn't very impressed with. Moving on, Panini, I got this in a text. Uh, a listener of the show wanted to know uh, with Tops out of the football game, does Panini have a flagship product? You know, Top Series 1 would come out. And what I kind of liked about Top, what I like about Tops, I like about their branding strategy is they come out with a set like Tops and even a set like Bowman. And it catapults usually two or three other sets bare minimum oftentimes off that set. So if you think about top series one baseball and even in maybe even in football where there was less sets and kind of less like paralyzed, you know, paralene of those sets. So tops would do top series one, but then they'd have tops Chrome, which was like the, the same thing, but you don't in baseball, you have Bowman Chrome, Bowman draft, Bowman, all this stuff off Bowman in tops. You have tops one tops two, uh, tops Chrome, uh, tops update 
So you literally have, we have two brands and we've literally rattled off like seven different sets, seven, eight, nine uh, different sets off just two brands. Whereas Panini, I think I saw this week, they're coming out with like uh, Phoenix football, impeccable football or something or immatchable or whatever. They come up with a different name for every set. And that's cool, I think, when when the theme fits. But at some point, you start to run dry. Like Phoenix football? I mean, are you serious? But what's missing from uh, Panini, especially in, in their football products, is kind of like this fl a flagship product that kind of overarches everything. And so Panini drops the ball quite a bit like this. Yes, I know they do the they quote do the high end okay pretty well. Although I, I've seen guys, I mean, I think Immaculate had like stickers, <laughs> sticker autographs, and like uh, you know I, I expect redemptions to a certain degree. But sticker autographs, guys, in, in a seven eight hundred dollar product, come on, come on. So Panini, uh, very weak, I think, on the branding. I think these guys, you know, there's not not a lot of strategy. Uh, in, in a lot of this stuff. So it tends to not lead to a lot of uh, collectability kind of down the line. Not a lot of resale value, I think, too, uh, holding on. So those are definitely some things you, you want to think about. Um, but it sure would be nice if, if, if Panini would tighten up their strategy uh, just a little bit. I think they what they could do. I think on a fa I've talked about this on the show. And I know we pick up new listeners, and I certainly appreciate it if you've been listening to the show. Sorry about uh, the last show with the class. I guess you guys have never seen. Uh, it was on a, It was on CNBC. Maybe you guys don't watch CNBC. You know, hey, you know, I didn't. I, I Eight years ago, I started this podcast. I wasn't watching CNBC. I'd watch all the same crap that everybody else in America watches. Then I went broke. This was eight years ago when I started this podcast. I went broke. I said, you know what? I got to change my mindset. I'm broke, but I got to start thinking like I'm a millionaire. That's what I, that, I actually read books that told me this, that if you're broke now, the, the first thing you need to do is change your mindset. You need to start thinking like a millionaire. You need to start thinking like a businessman, thinking like you have a million dollars, thinking like you have a million dollars about to come in. Or at least planning that way. And so that's what I certainly started doing. And so one of the things I started doing was really started paying attention to the stock market. And this was right before it started crashing. And then I started paying attention to it. And then two months later, it, start, it starts crashing. And I started jumping up and down. Knowing that, that that's going to be the, the greatest moment of my life. Eight years ago. So I guess none of you guys watch CNBC because uh, two or three years ago, there was a show on there called Money Talks. And this is was they would play this after, you know, all the Squawk Box and Jim Cramer and all that runs throughout the day. And then CNBC has some entertaining shows, actually, uh, that run in prime time. They run a lot of Shark Tank reruns, which is a good show if, if you don't uh, already follow that show. But... 
Uh, the Prophet's a pretty good show on CNBC, but they ran a show just for one season. It was definitely over the top and a little edgy for CNBC and even TV in general. Um, but Money Talks, he has a podcast now. I think he's 80 shows deep on YouTube if you want to check him out. But he does the clapping and the whole bit. We basically, Ryan and I, if you listen to our bits, if you follow Money Talks, we don't try to rip them off uh, directly, but the last show where we were uh, uh, barbecuing uh, Mr. Smith, all that, all the lingo, all the clapping, all that stuff was, was literally uh, mimicked to uh, perfection from another podcast. So anybody that made fun of me, there's another popular podcast that actually was on TV, made into a TV show that does the same thing. So entertainment, boys and girls. Uh, so Panini doesn't have a flagship. I, I, I just, I, I'm not sure. Uh, one thing I've talked about on the show a lot with Panini is one thing I think they could do is take some of their really good brands. I wouldn't do it on the high end, but what I'd like to see them do is they have, I can think of Prism, and select is okay. They've kind of, you know, hit or miss sometimes with select, uh, Panini select. But Prism, I think, is one we can all agree with, is a product that Panini comes out with that is uh, in that what is now considered kind of that mid-range price, kind of entry-level mid-range price of a, a product. But you can pull some cards out of there that are, are extremely high-end, and, and that's what Tops does really well especially in baseball but tops does that to a t with a large amount of the sets that they come out with they come out with a lot of 70 to 100 dollars sets where it's a lot of boo it's a lot of cardboard but people like collecting that cardboard uh, but there's also the possibility to really really get something nice and so i think panini kind of misses that boat a little bit but one way they could elevate, uh, use the Prism brand, the Prism brand kind of sits a, a, a one time a year kind of thing. Well, Panini, as we know, is coming out with Phoenix and Gala and Noir and all these terms. Nobody gives a crap about. Nobody uh, in the hobby that's been around even knows. Nobody new in the hobby really even cares about. So what I think they could do is utilize the Prism brand. It's a mid-range brand. Let's elevate it. Look what Topps does with Top Series 1. They elevate it just a little bit with Chrome. I think they could go oh, one step further um, and maybe go, you know, like a SE version of uh, uh, or SP version of Chrome or something, a really high-end version. They could do that, and maybe uh, over the years they have attempted this kind of strategy. But I think Panini could do, um, they could have a version of, of uh, like an early season or a, even, you know, early to mid-season version of Prism, but come out with a late ver late season version of Prism. Prism uh, mid-season is, t uh, I don't know why they put sticker autographs on this stuff, but it's typically a rookie card with a, either an autograph or a sticker autograph on it. I know they've mixed in jerseys here and there, but... Prism is more of an autograph product, but I think what you could do is come out with Prism uh, Premium or Prism SE, Prism uh, Patches or whatever. Put put you don't even Prism Series Two is fine too. But instead of the autograph rookies, let's have an autograph patch rookie. So I think you could do something like that. 
or certainly uh, there's more rookies and, and rookies that come on uh, to a certain degree, even in, in all sports, even the NBA. But I don't see them doing that. Instead, they, they'll they come out with Gala or, or uh, Eminence or, uh, you know, all these different brands nobody even cares about. And it might be a good set this year because nobody buys it. That's what ends up happening. Nobody ends up pre-ordering it. They kind of had it made a commitment to make the set. It comes out. It's actually pretty cool because they had kind of had to load it up a little bit. But then what happens next year? Everybody orders it the following year, and then it's all these sticker autographs, and it's garbage. So be careful about that going forward. Check out my cards moving right along. Let's talk about check out my cards. So there, we my brother and I discussed this was on the national recap. This wasn't on the uh, Michael Smith uh, CardboardConnection.com uh, barbecue hour. This was on uh, show two shows prior to this one. We talked about how they're going to be changing their listing fees up a little bit. So the way they're going to be grouping the uh, cards that are priced under 75 cents, so 74 cents and lower, are going to be batched into one eBay listing. And so it'll be an eBay listing with quantity. So if there's 10 items that are 74 cents and lower, those are all going to be batched into one item. And so if I'm priced at 30 cents and I'm the lowest price, the first person that buys that card on eBay, my card will peel off first. Second card might be priced at 35 cents. His or her card will, will peel off next on eBay and so on. Now, my brother and I thought about this. And what we thought is instead of getting grouped into that uh, listing, what I'd like to do, especially in the cards where I'm pricing it at about 55 cents and higher, I think I'd rather just jump myself to 75 cents. And here's why. Because the way eBay uh, search works, it it's best match. I know a lot of us uh, fumble around and, and, and alter the way that is, but casual buyers make up a lot of people that buy, okay? And if you're a seller, you really want to target the casual people. I don't, you know... We could have a whole show, but a lot of you guys cater to the hardcore collector. When the casual buyer, the person buying it for someone else, the mom buying it for the son, the mom buying it for a gift, the 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 mom buying it because it's on a list, the person buying it because it's a white elephant. Those are the high, that's the high high, high conversion type buyer, the less sensitive, the person that's trying to click and buy. Whereas the hardcore collector, what are they trying to do? They're trying to click and then go see the best price. Oh, where can I get this? Oh, I can get this box for blowout for this price, but let me go check DA. Do you think the mom and the casual buyer, the white elephant buyer, do you think they even know the difference between DA card world and blowout cards? No. Absolutely not. A lot of you guys are trying to sell to the person that has an account at blowout cards when you really want to sell to the person that has an account at Amazon.com. But anyways, check out my cards um, listing. 
changing. So Ryan and I thought we want to be we want to just get grouped into our own listing because the way eBay search works, the best match works. Ryan and I have talked about and seen plenty of evidence of it that sometimes the single just having your own item all on its own is better than getting kind of grouped into these group buy kind of situations. So obviously cards priced say 55 cents and lower raising the price to 75 cents you might be pricing yourself out of selling that card um, but certainly anything in that 60 cents and higher i'm probably just going to raise it to 75 cents or a higher price and have my own listing on ebay and i think that that would be a cleaner way to do it we'll see if check on my cards implements a different kind of fee structures there might be a different fee structure for all that kind of stuff that certainly would change my strategy I'm just talking about from going here forward, um, going from this point, this podcast, going until these fees change. Um, and this is a, over a critical period of time. It's not like this is, a, you know, the sleepy season of summer. This is Q4 when everybody does their shopping. And like I said, I like to price my cards for the mom and the white elephant buyer. I could give a, the, the collector guy that's trying to complete a set Oh, that guy is going to be there tomorrow. That's what I, I don't think a lot of guys in this, a lot of sellers, certainly ones I, I read their quote advice on Twitter or wherever they decide to post it. Nobody's talking about the casual buyer. Certainly none of these group breakers are talking about that either. They don't have time anyways. But a lot of these rip and flipper single card guys should be, should be really targeting a lot of these, um, these casual guys, especially after their first kind of initial inventory um, kind of blows through. But, uh, yeah, it's a critical time for checking my cards. I think you you take advantage in this Q4. We're only in August, almost in September, but we're still in just a great time to sell, buy and sell, Quite to be quite frankly. Um, so great time to buy and sell and to be flipping cards on there and, and to be building up a bankroll and to maybe we'll take that into uh, the, the new season and to the new year and maybe a new fee structure and maybe it'll be all, you could have a whole new strategy or you just cash out at that point. But either way, I think um, there's some more or less some free money to be had um, and I'm always willing to take advantage of that. Let's talk briefly, like I said, about the NFL rookies. Um, I have a, a, an extensive knowledge on a lot of these guys, but I wanted to just point out a couple that uh, probably will be obvious, I think. But first of all, we'll play the horn. We'll have the, we have the horn section here again with us, folks, and that we'll cue them, and they'll be playing the horns because I'm a Bengals fan, and I'm going to be the first rookie I'll talk about as a Bengals player. But I've listened to their games, and then I've watched them on replay. And Tyler Boyd is going to definitely fit. And this was a guy I talked about before. If you listened to a few podcasts ago, before the preseason even started, I ran down a lot. I talked about Dak Prescott. I talked about Ezekiel Elliott. I talked about Tyler Boyd. I, I talked about Laquan Treadwell. I talked about all the guys I'm going to talk about. Okay. So, you know, I was aware of all these guys before. I was aware when they went into these situations, what kind of opportunity they would likely have if they don't get hurt and uh, stay healthy. And that's what's going to happen with Tyler Boyd uh, with the Bengals. This guy, if he stays healthy, is going to put up very solid, very respectable numbers. The other player that has to stay healthy with the Bengals is A.J. Green. 
if he gets injured, then um, I'm totally going to adjust what I think about Tyler Boyd's production. But if A.J. Green has a healthy year like he did last year and stays production, if they can get uh, their tight end, Tyler Eifert, back, and he can, I don't expect him to have the season he did last year, but if he can uh, stay productive and be a, a productive player like he is, Tyler Boyd is going to be a great weapon for the Bengals. They like to throw the ball. They have uh, two quarterbacks, actually, that are very good. So even if one gets hurt, I think the production's still going to be there. Uh, so I like Boyd this year only because the Bengals lost a couple uh, wide receivers. They lost Sanu, who was a, a, a productive wide receiver for them. And they lost, more importantly, Marvin Jones, who I think went to uh, Detroit and was, like, catching all the balls for Detroit. Um, so... Tyler Boyd. Second guy, Laquan Treadwell. I don't know if this guy is going to blow up the stats. I don't think I, I, I saw, I, I guarantee you we have Minnesota Viking fans listening. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is your guy. I think he's a good quarterback, but I don't think he's an NFL guy. His, his motion's too long. His, uh, his motion's too long. He's it's just not in this and the speed the NFL gets played. In the kind of dink and dunk game that the NFL has become, Teddy, you can't have a guy like Ted, Teddy Bridgewater throwing for you anymore, uh, unless you got an amazing offensive line. They might, uh, and 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 off play action too. I might, I might add, uh, off play action as long as AP's there, certainly going to make uh, a Teddy Bridgewater look better. But the minute that play action goes away, the guy's screwed. But anyways, Treadwell, I don't see being like this. This high stack, and this is just for their rookie year. Um, I don't see him being this this high stat number guy where he's blowing us away with his his stats. But I I believe Treadwell to be if he stays healthy. Obviously, I think he could be a, a very very productive uh, wide receiver. Where I see Treadwell is going to make some big catches in his career. If Minnesota, maybe I'm wrong about Bridgewater. Uh, he, well, if if I'm wrong. Uh, then uh, Treadwell's going to bail uh, Bridgewater's ass out quite a bit over his career uh, and, and make some big catches, you know, on third down or in big parts of the game. Uh, that's the kind of player Treadwell is. I have a lot of confidence in him. Again, I, I think you can pause on his car. You, I have like a hold. If I give a rating to his cards, I'd have a hold rating on uh, Treadwell. Uh, I, I, this is without looking to see what their prices are, but it might be sell if, 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 if um, Viking fans are like buying them up feverishly, which they could be, there's certainly probably a group of them that are, but um, it, it's not like Tyler Boyd. I'm definitely waiting on Tyler Boyd uh, because I don't like a lot of the stuff that's out uh, by Panini, unfortunately. But um, it, the minute I see a decent card out there that at a decent price, I'll probably jump on one. Moving on to Dak Prescott, I know a lot of you guys have probably heard about this. You know, certainly the Cowboys are talked about every 20 minutes on, on national TV. Uh, Dak Prescott's been a part of the conversation. Is he for real? I've been t talking to a lot of people about him. Uh, he is, f for, for me, he is a real player. I think he has a, a shot at, at being the quarterback, a legitimate shot at being the quarterback uh, of the future for the Cowboys uh, at some point in his career. Uh, I truly believe that he played, I believe, for Mississippi State, and they had nobody. I mean, let let's be real; they almost uh, made it to the championship game one year, and they had nobody. 
there's nobody uh, that was really any good uh, offensively on his team. And uh, this last season, he it appeared he had kind of a down season offensively, and it was only because the few players that he did have offensively, I think, went on to the NFL, and it was really just him this year. Prescott won uh, single-handedly several games uh, that I saw in college football. The mo- more important thing about Dak Prescott is he is a leader. He's a leadership guy. And I think um, if you make it to the NFL at QB, you have the arm, you have the decision-making skills, you have the athleticism. It's are you a leader? And uh, Dak Prescott is. We'll see uh, what happens. Obviously, offensive line, uh, all this other stuff has a huge factor in this. I know that he's done this uh, largely against uh, NFL backups or NFL uh, second-tier talent. But, uh, you know, I I think I probably have a sell rating on his cards because I can imagine, I I haven't checked the prices, but I can imagine Dak Prescott prices have trended up rapidly over the last week. Um, So we'll see what happens. He's definitely a sell uh, in in that environment and certainly heading in the regular season because, let's face it, Tony Roman's going to be a starter there, but um, we'll see what happens. Last one. I haven't been able to see the tape of Jared Goff's second game. I don't even know if he played that game. I knew he was hurt in the first game um, and didn't return in the game. But he has a receiver there, Farrell Cooper, that did uh, – he did make a one drop on a nice ball that uh, Goff threw. It was a tough tough throw, a good throw, and a tough throw. And uh, it would have been a tough catch, and he, he just dropped it. Cooper is a guy to keep an eye on if, if Goff does develop. Cooper will be a guy that will absorb a lot of that. And I can imagine not a lot of people. He was a Gamecock, so he does have a lot of following um, from a col- the college ranks. But I can imagine his cards are probably not, um, you know, top shelf material outside of probably not even in L.A. at this point. But um, the thing I wanted to say about Goff is the the book on him is you pressure him up the middle. That, that was the book on him at Cal was you pressure him right up the middle. He will stand in there and throw, but at the same time, he doesn't have that lateral shift that you see with like a Tom Brady or even Peyton Manning would have that like, you know, Peyton Manning would have that like like stutter step, like like jiggle basically, where he could like, he could have pressure come at his face and he could like basically like stutter step his way to the side. Tom Brady is a little smoother to the side, I'm trying to think of other quarterbacks that I think step up really well. Um, I can't really. The other quarterbacks I can think of that don't step up well is Andy Dalton of the Bengals. And that's the reason why the Bengals have not taken that second step is because Andy Dalton, when there's no pressure and the, and the Bengals have a great, probably one of the best offensive lines in the league, at least the last couple years they have in terms of protection and, and protecting the quarterback and things like that. Andy Dalton's a great quarterback, and, and so would A.J. McCarron. Karen looks pretty darn good back there, too. But the minute you get a, a little pressure up the middle, he, can, he his first move is backwards. With Goff, he tends to just get sacked when, when the pressure comes up the middle. Um, doesn't – sometimes I'll see him make a bad throw. I think he'll, he'll weed that out. But in the NFL – um, we'll see with Goff. He's really—they're really, really going to have to develop an offensive line there. 
in uh, down in Los Angeles, and um, you know that's really that that's really the bottom line uh, when it comes down to to Jared Goff. So I know that there was a lot of negative sentiment um, about him. For me, I would just be patient. Same with Wentz. Uh, for me, I'd probably be a seller of both these guys because I just see them both just in the the environments they've they've been drafted into. And the kind of players and the competition that they played against, especially Wentz in college, I don't see them uh, run. I don't see a lot of NFL quarterbacks uh, running into the league and doing a bunch of great things, but certainly not these two in the in the situations that they're in. Oh, I mean, again with golf, uh, pressure up the middle is going to kill this guy because he it, it, just go watch the film. And go watch his uh, a pocket aware. Maybe his pocket awareness will get better. But for me, again, I'm not a quarterback expert. I'm not, you know, but I've been watching the, the game for a long time. For me, pocket awareness, I, I, I typically don't see a quarterback. You know, I, I've seen quarterback like Andy Dalton, like his his body, his his leadership ability has probably uh, has gotten better in, in, over the years. And his, his ability to lead the game, I think leadership and confidence, those kind of things are earned. But pocket awareness is not something I think is often learned. Uh, maybe in subtle ways, but pressure up the middle um, is so far right now is Goff's downfall. And um, I can imagine teams are just going to be pressuring up up the gut all year on him. That is about it on the football players. That there's going to be a couple more. Uh, there's going to be a lot, not a couple. There's going to be a lot more guys. Um, there was a lot of talent in college football last year. A lot of offensive talent. I'll try to go through. I actually had a list here, and I had a second list. That, but of course, moving, new house. I don't know where anything is at this point, um, except for all the leaky faucets that are around this place. Um, but so. Needless to say, I had a larger list of these. Oh, last, the Titans' run game will be really interesting this year. Obviously, they have uh, Derrick Henry, who look, who's looked good, looked better. I actually uh, pegged him more as kind of upright runner and a guy that might struggle a little bit. Um, but definitely a Steven Jackson kind of clone. And, and Steven Jackson had a, a nice career in the NFL. Um, so we'll see what happens. But they have they have uh, DeMarco Murray there. They have uh, Bishop Sankey, I think, is there too. We might get cut, but uh, that's a good player too that might end up getting cut or be a third-string running back. So the Titans are an interesting team. Um, uh, Derrick Henry is the only rookie there in the mix, but that's a run game to keep an eye on. Bishop Sankey, for me, would be like the – if you're like fantasy football – that would be – I don't think you need to draft him unless you're in like a 14 team or, or something like that. Um, but he would be the guy nobody's paying attention to on that team but could develop because Murray seems to always get hurt. And like I said, with Henry, he's a really good player, a big guy, but those big guys get chopped down a lot. I mean, we've seen those big guys. Uh, the Giants had uh, – I can't remember his name now. But the New York Giants had a, a, a Ron Dane, not Ron Dane, but they had another big back that won Super Bowls with them that got cut got cut down. And he, I mean, he's, he's been out of the league, I think, for two or three years now. So uh, it, I see that happening with Henry. 
And I can easily see in week six or seven or eight, Bishop Sankey is the starting running back of the Titans, and they look like they love to run the ball. So um, those are kind of the deep sleeper kind of things. Obviously, I'm sure most of you guys are, are, are thinking about uh, now that it's fantasy football season. Last, uh, you know, I don't have a whole lot here. Got a lot of feedback on the last show, which is always, you know, always, uh, always fun to kind of put out those shows that are a little, not a little, a lot over the top. I think I got accused of being uh, sounding like a drunken uh, idiot. I'll give you guys a heads up. I don't drink. I mean, I'll drink occasionally if I go to a restaurant. There's a really nice brewery actually here in town. I'll have a beer there. I don't drink cheap beer. So if you want to send me a case of beer, if it's Miller Lite, Coors Light, Bud Light, guys, I'm not in college anymore. Paps, Blue Ribbon, any of this garbage. I don't drink piss water anymore. So, in fact, the beer I buy is about ten about ten dollars a bottle, ten dollars a can. They sell them in these larger kind of I don't know how many ounces the cans are, but it's about eleven dollars for a damn can. So, when I do drink, it'll be uh, you know. Kind of like that, but I definitely haven't I haven't felt tipsy in a while. That, uh, that was Stone Cold Sober. It was a Stone Cold ripoff of my boy Steve Stevens, um, who I think is uh, highly entertaining, even though I don't bet on sports or don't really gamble uh, particularly a whole lot, at least uh, in, in on sports betting. So, But I'll listen to his podcast because I think he's funny. Goes over the top, and, he, and he's funny. Uh, I had a lot of comments like, oh, why, um, you know, I, was I doing this for the traffic or the money? And certainly I wouldn't do this uh, for the traffic. If I wanted traffic, I'd put up, uh, you know, I think 2017 Tops was previewed the day our podcast came out. So I probably should have put up a, a preview of that and thrown up some eBay links. What I think a lot of you guys don't realize is uh, that Ryan and I have been doing this since about 2008. From 2008, 9-ish to about 2015, 2014, 15. So for about five years, Ryan and I put up checklists and put up stuff on our website. And during that time was what I refer to as the golden age of the eBay Partner Network. And to fill you guys in, eBay Partner Network during that time was paying out a ridiculous amount of money. They were basically just giving money away for free because the conversion of a click with the addition of a seven day cookie. So someone could come to sportscardradio.com, click on an eBay link and anytime within seven days, which is a long time, that person could buy something on eBay and I would get a percentage of that sale. You could imagine if you had four or five, 6,000 people, sometimes 7,000, 8,000 people sometimes would cut individual people. This is not hits. This is like not page views. This is actual individual people would come to the website. I would get hundreds, sometimes thousands of eBay clicks, and I'd get all those people's action on eBay for seven days. Well, at some point in 2000, I think it was either 2013 or 2014, eBay announced that they were basically going to cut cut all that back and they actually informed me of this in person i actually met i would i actually still to this day i meet with ebay every year in las vegas in january 
And, uh, you know, we sometimes talk about stuff and they often fill me in on stuff that uh, doesn't go out in emails or, you know, stuff they're working on and, and things like that. So it's pretty cool. It's always worthwhile. It's always a worthwhile trip to make it to Vegas for that. Um, and I always do. But they let me know that they were going to cut things back and it was going to be significant and to be uh, to be planning for that. And they actually were nice. eBay was actually nice for me and my brother and I'm sure other people in this industry as well. They actually kept our payments higher for for, I think, over a year, almost two years uh, to allow us to adjust for this. Ryan and I didn't ask for this. They just uh, offered it uh, straight up, basically. Um, And so we were getting higher commissions for, I think, almost two years after. It wasn't until maybe six, seven months ago that it actually uh, uh, the the true the true value of the click actually clicked on. And what eBay did is they took a, a seven day cookie down to about a 24 hour cookie. And they also diminished uh, what they pay out for uh, traffic that they consider regular. So if you're a regular buyer on eBay, they pay you less for that traffic than somebody that rarely buys on eBay. And um, in my opinion, certainly it's hurt me. Um, not really financially, just from that from that business itself uh, has certainly gone from being uh, a five figure a month business to um, now a very low five figure kind of thing um, for a whole year. So literally, I was making as much in one month on Sports Car Radio as I do in one year now. And you better believe that's the same for every forum out there. From Blowout Forum to Freedom Cardboard to Sports Card Forum, these guys were probably all giving away a lot more stuff a few years ago. That certainly goes for websites like CardboardConnection.com, who relied almost exclusively on eBay advertisements and now relies probably more primarily on uh, the individual advertisement deals. That's probably why people were very sensitive when I said I'll eventually go after anyone that sponsors a cardboard connection in the future. I'll pick my spots though. Just like Mike Smith uh, made the gas money comment to me two years ago and it wasn't until uh, two years later when I fully barbecued him. I I might take two years to barbecue you if you keep sponsoring uh, a, a banner on that site. But better believe I will. Because I got nothing to lose. So there's a little education for you guys. So for everybody that says, oh, I should just go put up checklists and tap everyone on the ass. Guys, I did that for five years when the money was pouring in. Now you cannot profitably do it. This is probably why Smith and his wife went off the deep end. They went from making $10,000 plus a month to nothing, to like 1000 I don't know if you got, that's like going from, you know, living in the Trump palace to having your foot in a bucket of shit. For a lot of you guys, it, oh, making $1,000 on your website might be great. And it probably is. For 99% of you guys, making $1,000 on your website for the whole year would be great. But for a website like Cardboard Connection, to go from making probably easily $10,000 a month to making 1000 like I said, is like, you know, staying in a, a, a penthouse suite to then the next night staying at the Excalibur. 
or at Gold Coast or at Hooters. Okay, you basically went from the top of Vegas to the shithole. And that's what, uh, and then that gives you an idea of what's happened to Smith over the last year. Uh, add on top of that, the guy that he paid to help basically build his whole site up went to Beckett. So he basically paid a guy to train him, build him up, and then now that guy goes and works for somebody else. And now he's got to pay somebody to now compete against a guy he's already paid. So Smith Smith went broke because he didn't foresee the eBay partner network cuts as deep as uh, savvy businessmen did. Believe me, the minute I found out eBay partner network was cutting their payments, guess how many checklists started flowing to sports car radio? Almost none. The work almost stopped immediately. People just can't, you can't work for free in this world. And if you want to be a businessman, if you want to be like me, for the last eight years, I've not had a job. I've not thought about going and getting a job. I've not needed to get a job. I don't foresee needing a job. I have a house. I have a very expensive car. I have a very expensive house. I have a kid on the way and I have no plans at all to go get a job. And that is because you have to plan and foresee several years down the road. And if you got meth up your, wherever you put meth, I don't know how you do meth. If it's a needle or if it's what it is, you smoke it or what. But if you got that all up in you and your wife's got her, the bottle or whatever she was doing, these people aren't seeing uh, more than, uh, you know, their next uh, drug hit or their next uh, bottle, uh, let alone uh, what their website's going to be doing two years from now. And I certainly don't expect the little minions that were defending this guy on Twitter and uh, the other websites out there to fully understand this. Remember, guys, websites are not just about traffic. When you're like me, it became very apparent to me, all, everyone that was kind of defending Cardboard Connection were often uh, referencing the, the traffic that the website got or the number of followers that it had on Twitter. Guys, that's kindergarten when it comes to Webmaster. 8, 9, 10, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, even longer than that when I was setting up my first websites. I think I set up my first website, I think it was like 2002, 2003. So the, the internet wasn't really that old then. Some of you guys listening probably weren't even that old yet. And I was setting up my first websites then. So Sports Car Radio is like my 10th website. So it's not, it's, it's not my first time around the block. When you first start learning websites, like getting traffic to them is like kindergarten. After that, you stop worrying about traffic. You start worrying about one word. And it's called conversion. And when eBay Partner Network decided to cut their cookie from seven days down to one, guys, that means it was there was going to be literally a 90% conversion cut no matter what I did. I could have done anything, could have put up 20 checklists a day, could have hired every writer in the industry. 
Beckett could have gone 50, you know, 505, you know, and cardboard connection go 404 on every page. 404 error page on every page. I could show up number one on Google, number one on Facebook, Twitter, Google, eBay. If eBay's offering a one-day cookie, you're never going to make money. So if you're going to come out with me with an argument, make sure you know what you're talking about. Traffic to a website means zero to me, especially if you have to be on there posting and posting and posting and posting and posting. Guys, I have websites just to clue you guys in. I have websites. I don't even know how to log into them. One of them I set up in 2013. I went and checked the stats. I was going to tweet it out, but I didn't want to really rub it in. So I'll just talk about it on my show, I guess, to rub it in. But I set up a website in 2013. It was a test to test Joomla. I think it was like 2.0 or 3.0. I just wanted to see the new software. So I bought a new domain to test it out and set up a website. It took me about three hours. I remember I had a brand new computer at the time, too. I was testing that out. I have not touched the website since then. I will say it's in the dating niche. So it's in the dating kind of you know, niche. In three years, this website has made, let me bring it up here for you folks, $67,384. So take that to the bank, boys and girls. How many posts do you got to put on CardboardConnection.com every day to make $67,000? How many writers do you got to have? How many editors do you got to have? When it took me three hours and it was really just a test, I was really just fooling around and I can't even log into the site. I don't even remember. I have to go, I have to go into the MyPHP admin and go into the table, the password table. That's the only way I can change my password now. And obviously, better believe I'm too lazy to do that. Especially when the, the site's making this kind of money. I don't want to touch it. It's killing it. Gets better and better, it seems like, too. It just gets more and more money. It makes more and more money every week, every month. And I, I don't do anything with it. I haven't touched it. So, guys, a lot of you guys out there still trying to get your make your first thousand Still trying to make your first ten thousand. Still trying to make your first hundred thousand online, guys. I'm 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 almost my second million online. So don't talk to me about web traffic without talking about conversion. Don't talk to me about web traffic without talking about how many writers you need and how much that costs and how sustainable that may be and what happens when you pay that guy and then all of a sudden he goes works for a competitor. What happens now? So now you know why Mr. Smith blew up. Mr. Smith went broke. And it's only a matter of time until his, uh, his uh, little empire there comes uh, crashing down along with him. So his little boys uh, that need the money and that are probably broker than him. So, I mean, this guy's got child support and alimony and all this other stuff he's paying. And his little minions that are writing on his site now are, are probably broker than him. Once minimum wage goes up to $15 an hour and you guys can go work at In-N-Out Burger or go work at McDonald's or Chipotle and make more money, you guys will do that. You guys will go roll burritos for a dollar more. 
And when you do that, I'll be sitting here from my house, tweeting, not working, doing more yard work and and talking crap on a podcast uh, than anything. So until then, I'll do my victory lap whenever I want. And you guys out there, haters, start your own show. Start your own show. I'll promote it uh, freely like I do every other show on here. Other shows uh, will talk crap on this show, will talk crap on me on Twitter, and, uh, and I'll promote their show. I'll link to their websites on my own website. I'll go link to their website. I don't care. That's why the, the I have a, a large group of fans right now that are just sitting back chuckling, or they might have even tuned out by now. I might have a large group of fans that remember listening in 2008 and 2009 when I was dead broke and telling everybody to buy stocks. Sell your carts. Stop buying carts. Stop buying this overpriced crap and buy stocks because that's what I was doing. Now, I don't know if I'd I'd recommend going out and buying a house in this market, but I I definitely would recommend if you bought stocks in 08 to be selling some or all or like a lot of them like I did. So... But I'm still buying stocks. Nike, like Nike. Um, I'm keeping an eye on Starbucks. Um, I'm keeping an eye on Nike right now. Nike and Starbucks, I think, are my two that um, I think are reasonably, I'll call them reasonably priced power brands. To where you can take a cup of water and put a Starbucks logo on it and, and sell it for four. And you can put a, take a $2 t-shirt and put a swoosh on it and sell it for 25 Now, you the consumer might complain about a $4 cup of coffee or a $25 t-shirt. But me, the shareholder, wants to stand up and, and push my boner down when I see stuff like that. And these are the two companies I see out there with, um, with a track record. Uh, a returning capital to shareholders and have the ability to, to grow this even further. Okay. There's, you know, there's brands out there that I think um, maybe like McDonald's, which is like a great brand, but has probably peaked in terms of its ability to really grow that exponentially. Okay. That's why their yield probably two and a half, three percent. Whereas Nike and Starbucks probably like 1%. So they're only returning about 1% to you and I. But those are the two stocks that I think uh, maybe over the next 5 to 10 years. Starbucks I'm less confident about, but I still like their prospect. Starbucks, not to turn this into like the stock hour, but Starbucks I'm uh, monitoring the overseas, like their China expansion. They really, they've expanded overseas, but it hasn't, uh, their growth is going to expand over there. So if that growth keeps going, if the Chinese, you know, the Chinese really like tea. And so if if, um, Starbucks can really hit the mark with tea in that market, um, then then I'll be buying that hand over fist. Nike, any dip down. Um, for me, the shares are a little rich, but any dip, d- touch down um, into the low 50s, um, especially 49 handle, um, then I'll be back in there buying. This is a stock I've owned for a long time, so it's really just me adding to it at this point. Um, Starbucks is a new position for me this year. I, I have shares of it already, um, but certainly looking to add to it um, over the course 
any weakness, especially any weakness, any, oh, people are not drinking coffee anymore, any of that kind of weakness. I'm in there. So anyways, just wanted to throw uh, that in there. Uh, invest, invest. Uh, I know times are a lot better now, um, but you still should be saving. For me, it's $50 a week into an IRA. Um, next year, I'll probably, what I like to do is, t- I think you can max contribute. I, I think it's like 4500 or 5200 or something. It's almost like, I think I told out it's like $80 a week or something in that range. You can basically contribute to this thing. Um, and so I'll probably uh, d- uh, bump it to the max uh, next year. But that should be your minimum. Okay, guys, my IRA is like something I, I've actually paid more attention to my IRA because I've, I've emptied out my other brokerage accounts because I started those in 08 um, and some of them before that. But in the 08 era, in that kind of stock market crash era, I opened up a bunch of brokerage accounts and bought a bunch of stocks. And uh, now a lot of them are sitting empty. Um, but I still have my IRA um, and I still dump money um, into certain um, different little savings vehicles. Um, I have Bitcoin. I have lending club notes. I, I kind of look at check on my cards as kind of a very, very, very long-term um, investment. Uh, I hate to use the word investment, but um, certainly a place where I'm kind of storing some money. I, I definitely don't uh, intend to keep my money tied up on the, on the site or the majority of it tied up forever. Uh, and certainly not that way with stocks or anything like that either. Um, so, you know. But but as a new homeowner for the last week and a half, I certainly can recognize I've probably shelled out at least a thousand dollars in the last week to plumbers, electricians, and this, that, and the other. And my house, uh, you know, I need floor, I need a roof, I need a new kitchen, and uh, yeah, the whole yard needs to be landscaped. So a lot of work to be done. So I can totally understand uh, that money might be tight. But, hey, if money's tight, cut it down to like $5. Do $5 a week. If you can't do $50 a week, do $5. And and start now. You know, this podcast is about to end. Open up your account and just do an automatic uh, $5 withdrawal every week. Start at $5. Start at $1. I don't care. Just get in the habit of saving your money. Don't just blow all your money on this Topps crossover garbage or whatever set uh, Panini comes out and whatever they decide to name it. It's like they're rolling dice and then picking that number in a dictionary and then uh, flowing down to that. Oh, Phoenix. Cool. We'll name the set Phoenix. Oh, cool. We'll name the set Gala. None of this stuff makes any sense. So you certainly shouldn't be wasting your money on a lot of it. Even with stocks at an all-time high, I, I certainly could see evidence that it could le- now it could leg up. Not not leg up instantly, but given the the situations we have uh, globally, I could see how the U.S. market could just keep edging up, especially uh, big uh, global brands, really strong companies. So hope that helps. little investment hour right at the end for those that care, for those that want to make money, for those that are not stuck in kindergarten worrying about web traffic and popularity and retweets. Guys, be yourself. Go over the top. When it's a podcast, go over the top. If you're on here 
blandly giving information. Trust me, you'll be about 30 podcasts deep like most people do. And then they'll stop because no one will care. No one will e- email you. Nobody. You Imagine how many emails I got last week and how many tweets and DMs and this and that and the other. God, I couldn't keep up with it. I had to turn it off because I had yard work and, and shit to do around my house. I had to turn it off. I had to put the Twitter down. How many sports card podcasts in this industry ever have gotten that much reaction uh, in their entire show's lifetime? And I get it for like one show and I've had like 20 of those shows. Even the guy I made, uh, Josh Cade, even uh, came back and we had a little little banter on Twitter. I think even I should do a little pay-per-view podcast or something. I bet you guys would pay like 99 cents. We'll donate it all to Cade too. I don't need any of the money. I guarantee you he does though. We can probably raise them four or five hundred bucks if we charge uh, ninety nine cents a pull. So if you're doing a podcast, go over the top with it. If you're doing web content, don't focus on how much traffic you're getting. Focus on conversion. And if you want to get rich, invest your money in the stock market. And when it's an all time high and you bought it all time low, you sell. Period. So that's what I've done, folks. Hopefully you guys have been enjoying it. I've been I've been categor like categorizing it and then cataloging it this entire time on this podcast. You guys have been witness to it this entire time. So and the journey keeps going forward and it's only gonna get more fun and more entertaining. So kick back and relax. We'll be back some other time, some other place, but until then, we are out of here.